And I'm Carol. And this is the Real Talk Recreation Therapy Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about real experiences and real research that back up the use of recreation therapy as a method of treatment for a variety of populations. We try to keep it real as we address concerns and successes that we and other recreation therapists have had as we all navigate this awesome career field. We don't have it all figured out, but one thing we know for sure is everything gets a lot easier when you can talk it out with a friend. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we are super excited to talk about the modality of cycling. Um, We have both had experience doing cycling groups and we're super excited today to talk about the um, different experiences that we've had, the research behind cycling and why it's so beneficial for our clients and different best practices that we have found to do with cycling. So to start off, um, I learned about adaptive cycling in a class at school when I was studying to be a recreation therapist. One of my professors has been an avid adaptive cyclist, and this was a special side class that he did, and he it was just like adaptive sports. And cycling was one of the first ones we did. And he really emphasized to us that anyone, no matter their ability, can ride a bike. There's an adaptation for them. And that was my first kind of intro into adaptive sports and how they could look different. And so that was really eye-opening for me that anyone could ride a bike. So I'm super excited to talk about that today. Um, In San Diego, where I did my internship, we did... Uh, cycling groups with people with physical disabilities, like a spinal cord injury uh, or stroke. We also did groups for individuals with visual impairments on those tandem bicycles. So it was super fun. Um, and then at the soldier recovery unit, we did a weekly cycling program. It was one of our most consistent programs during the three years I worked there. Cause you know, you kind of like have programs come in and out, but in Hawaii, you can cycle all year round (laughs) and it was a pretty popular one. And so we got to work with people of all different ability levels, facilitating different needs, mechanics. And we were really fortunate that our physical therapy assistant was a former competitive cyclist. So he really mentored me in mechanics and cycling training and things like that. So that's kind of the background that I have with cycling um, and groups so far. What about you, Carol? What is your have you done anything other than the soldier recovery unit with that? Really? No, I think like the soldier recovery unit, the weekly cycling group is probably the brunt of my experience with cycling and adaptive cycling. Part of the soldier recovery unit is we got to be a part of the army trials, which is tryouts for the warrior games, which is like the Paralympics of the military. And one of the sports that our soldiers competed in was cycling. Um, So it's really fun to be able to be there for like a clinic on adaptive cycling. We had the coach from team army come out and instruct everybody on how to do adaptive cycling. Yeah. It's just really cool to see it go from a recreational thing. Like we would take our soldiers out and have them try out the recumbents, try out the cycles, but then to watch them like work with a coach and then work up to competing. It's really interesting to see. Um, 
when I was working as a in-home recreational therapist, I did have a few children that I took cycling, which is much different from the competitive adaptive cycling. It was more like, okay, kid, let's learn how to ride a bike. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And it's, well, and it's so beneficial, right? Because one thing that a lot of individuals with disabilities or illnesses, people that we might work with, they might say they they feel like they have a lack of freedom, a lack of ability to just kind of go and do things. And cycling is really a program that, or just an activity that gives you kind of that sense of freedom and that sense of self-efficacy, like I'm doing this under my own power, able to do this. Mm -hmm. Or even when you're doing it with someone, it's, it's this really liberating experience, I think for people. Yeah. And I think it just like speaks to what you said about how cycling is for everyone. Like there really is a version of cycling that pretty much every person can do, which is really cool. Yes. And we studied some of the benefits of cycling that researchers have found. And you did a lot of that research. So I'm going to just kind of send it to you and tell us what did you learn about the physical benefits of cycling? Yeah, definitely. So as you can imagine, there's actually quite a bit of research about the physical benefits of cycling. So considering it's a physical modality, I feel like starting out with the physical benefits makes the most sense because it's like easy to see people that bike tend to be more fit. Starting out with some of the research that I came across, there was, first of all, the Physical Activity Guidelines Advisory Committee in 2008 presented a comprehensive study of the current knowledge of the benefits of cycling, and they found that there is strong evidence for improved cardiovascular endurance and muscular fitness. Makes a lot of sense. We know a lot of really fit people riding bikes. Favorable body composition, improved bone health, and improved cardiovascular and metabolic health biomarkers, and this is in children and adolescents. They also found that in adults, there is a strong evidence for lower risk of early death, lower risk of heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, blood pressure, blood lipid profiles, metabolic syndrome, there's a reduction in colon and breast cancers, prevention of weight gain, weight loss, improved cardiorespiratory and muscular fitness, prevention of falls, reduction of depression, like all these just really good physical health outcomes from people that engage in cycling. And going beyond that, we looked at a lot of different studies. One of the studies was done on nursing home residents with dementia that participated in a two-week wheelchair cycling program. So Jenna will probably talk about the different types of adaptive cycles later. A wheelchair cycle is a cool cycle where the person running the program, like let's say the recreational therapist would be the one who's pedaling and the participant in this case, the person from the nursing home with dementia would sit up front kind of in like a seat, like a basket almost. And then the rec therapist or the activity director, whoever is running it would take the person out biking where the the therapist is the one pedaling, but the person gets to like go for a ride and have that feeling of riding a bike that they maybe have had before if they've biked in the past or haven't had, but just that like freedom of getting to go out. So that study found that there was a significant decrease in sleep disturbance And the exciting thing was that that decrease in sleep disturbances continued 10 weeks later when they followed up on all the people that were participating in the study. And Jana and I were talking a little bit earlier about how sleep is really important. (laughs) 
And that's definitely true for people with dementia. Having fewer sleep disturbances can have a lot of positive outcomes just for how their days go. Another study that we looked at found that high-intensity tandem bicycling improved motor function and biochemical functional neuroimaging variables in Parkinson's disease patients. So all those fancy words basically mean that they found that Parkinson's patients that were participating in this tandem bicycle program, their brains were actually showing a change in relation to their participation in cycling. I always love it when there's something with brain imaging. (laughs) It just makes me so happy that we are actually seeing physical changes in the brain. Mm -hmm. More obvious research than that. I don't know. More blatant research than that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that study, so when it talks about high intensity tandem bicycle, that actually is this really cool stationary bicycle. It's called a tandem bicycle because it's like a pedal assist. And so the person, it's a stationary bicycle, so a little bit different than like the bikes that you're probably thinking of when we started talking about it, but there's a motor on the bike. And what it does is it, you strap the person in, they strap their feet in and they do like a session of cycling and the bike will actually pedal them faster. So like the pedals will pedal for them and it kind of almost forces the person to pedal faster at a higher rate than they would on their own. But they've have done multiple studies that have shown this like positive these positive changes in the brain and in like the motor functioning of people with Parkinson's when they participate in this tandem cycling, this forced exercise bike. We'll talk about that bike a little bit later when we talk about different kinds of adaptive bikes, but it's just really cool to see like the positive benefit of tandem biking. There was another study also that said for people that like, for example, if your facility isn't able to buy this tandem bicycle, this assisted cycle, that riding an actual tandem bicycle and like being able to kind of help that person pedal a little bit faster can also have positive impacts. Um, I'm not sure about the safety of that. (laughs) You'd have to have, like, be prepared to ride on the bike. (laughs) But it is exciting to see that, like, cycling does have a positive impact on people with Parkinson's. As you can imagine, and as many studies have said, cycling can improve muscle strength, balance, and gross motor motor function. One study that I looked at found that this was true in children with cerebral palsy. And so... People with cerebral palsy tend to have less gross motor function and and like not as good balance. Sometimes their gait is a little bit off. And so they found that cycling can have a positive impact on like improving those things. The next study, there was a study done in Denmark. It was a six year long study, which I always love those longitudinal studies because they really show like long-term change. Like it's easy to look at a study for that's around for two weeks and like see some positive results, but it's more telling when the results last a long time. So they found that children who cycled to school where the main mode of transport was cycling, they found that their fitness improved significantly for those people over the six years that basically cycled to school versus other forms of transportation, whether it was walking or (laughs) riding a car, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I I really liked reading that because in Singapore, a lot of people bike to work and Mm -hmm. like cycling is more common as a commuting than when where I lived in America. And so it's really cool to see that because we've started doing that, like cycling places and Mm -hmm. physical benefits for sure, like definitely see that, but also just like 
the, I know you'll talk about this later, but the social emotional benefits of not being in traffic the same way. Mm -hmm. So Singapore has like a separate, very separate bike lane. So you're not worried about traffic. So like the, you know, I know not everywhere is like, I feel safer riding a bike, but being able to not worry about traffic to just go. I feel like I feel more prepared to get to where I'm going. So right. it's really cool that they did this with, they did this with school children, right? Is what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool that the school children are having these physical benefits. I'm sure the there's, yeah. there's other benefits to that too. And then the last study that I looked at on physical benefits showed that there was a reduction in all cause mortality that increases with daily cycling. They found that people that cycled compared to people that don't cycle daily, that there's a 20% risk reduction with less than an hour of daily moderate cycling, and then a 30% risk reduction with 100 minutes of daily cycling. So basically, your chance of dying from all sorts of causes decreases if you cycle more based Which off really, of this study. Yeah, it's so cool to, <laughs> it's it's so beneficial to see that because I think in general, aerobic activity, you see mm-hmm. a lot of benefits of that. And and that's what cycling is, right? And so we're seeing all of these benefits that are also connected to aerobic activity. But it is so beneficial to break it down and say cycling, specifically cycling. Yeah. When you're trying to advocate for your program at where wherever you're working, trying to advocate for why your group needs cycling as a physical benefit, you can share this research to say, this is why I'm choosing this as the aerobic activity as opposed to something else. Yeah, definitely. So moving on from physical benefits, I also looked for cognitive benefits of cycling and I found a few studies. The first study that I found was done for children that were on the autism spectrum. And it found that the process of learning how to ride a bike also was effective for improving planning, visual spatial working memory, cognitive flexibility, and inhibition. So that's really cool to see. Having a kid with autism and teaching them how to ride a bike also has all of these positive cognitive benefits. Not only are they learning to ride a bike, but in that process of learning how to ride a bike, they're also like improving their ability to plan things. They're improving their memory. They're improving their cognitive flexibility. So I just nice think it's- to be able to, to do a biking activity instead of staring at a worksheet or yeah. you know, doing these other behavioral changes that they have to do day in, day out. S- such a nice like break from that. But yeah. also it's not a break. It's it's doing the exact same things that they're trying to do. All right. So another study that we looked at, it again, talks about the assisted cycling therapy, which I had mentioned earlier when I talked about Parkinson's patients. This is the use of a stationary bike that has a motor on it that the participant actually straps their feet in so that they don't fall off to like keep the feet engaged. And then the motor is what like the person is pedaling, but then the motor amps up the speed of pedaling so that that person is pedaling at what the, what the study said, a faster rate than they otherwise would have. And so they found in this study for people with down syndrome that that response, what that does to the brain of like having to pedal faster is that it has been shown to increase the uptake of neurotrophic factors, including brain-derived neurotrophic factors, dopamine, glial-derived neurotrophic factors, and insulin growth factors. So those are all fancy words that basically all of those 
these are all hormones in the brain that yes. that go off when you're exercising that have mm -hmm. positive positive connotations for cognitive and I believe also like social emotional I, I learned a lot about BDNF in a book I read called Spark it was about basically the mental emotional benefits of exercise yeah yeah and so for this for people with Down syndrome they found that because of all of these hormones that are being released in the brain during this cycle assisted psychotherapy that it had the benefit of improving learning and memory, improving motor control, which is a physical thing, um, and also just improving like their social coping skills, which is how you respond to stress. But yeah, just like the ability to improve that learning and memory, it kind of goes along with what I talked about earlier on the study with autism, how for the kids with autism, it was the process of learning to ride the bike had those positive cognitive benefits. And here, just the process of riding the bike with that faster pedaling movement increases these the presence of these hormones in the brain and then has all these positive learning outcomes cognitively for the people with Down syndrome. That is such a, an incredible thing that you just said, like riding a bike will help someone develop better social skills like that. Mm -hmm. This isn't, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but in this research, it wasn't, oh, we're like doing special social programming. It was just, this is increasing the same these same hormones in the brain that are going to help you develop these other skills is mm -hmm. really, yeah. really eye-opening. I think to see that, you know, this can, this can affect so many things without being really overt about it. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. The last study that I found for the cognitive benefits of cycling was again, talking that assisted cycling therapy, they said that it was effective in improving working memory versus voluntary cycling, which voluntary cycling would be the non-assisted. So the person is still pedaling on a stationary bike, but instead of having that motor determine what rate they're pedaling at, they are determining that rate themselves. So it's just like using your traditional stationary bike. And so they found that the assisted cycle therapy is more effective at improving working memory, whereas voluntary cycling was more effective at improving verbal long-term memory and set switching. So set switching is just like your ability to cognitively switch from one area of attention to another. They're beneficial for people with ADHD, people with autism. Like there's there's a lot of connotations to where that could work for many different groups. Now I think we'll move on to the next section of benefits. So when I looked at the documented behavioral benefits of cycling, I did not find a ton of research on this. I am not sure if that's just because a lot of people haven't like looked at the behavioral benefits of cycling or just wasn't able to find it. I did find, and again, talking about this assisted cycling therapy, they found that an eight-week study on the assisted cycling therapy compared to the voluntarily voluntary cycling and a no cycling group for people with Down syndrome, again, showed that the assisted cycling group had a decrease in externalizing maladaptive behaviors, which is just a fancy way to say like the outward display of negative emotions. So things like vandalizing things or like bullying other people like kind of that like negative emotional response basically they found that participating in the assisted psychotherapy showed a decrease like the individuals that were a part of this study doing doing the ACT the assisted cycling therapy had fewer of these behaviors and so they hypothesized that this decrease in those negative behaviors was due to a decrease in depression 
So I guess that's kind of like a emotional benefit as well, that like cycling caused that release of all those hormones in the brain, which had the result of decreasing depression and then fewer internalized negative feelings resulted in fewer externalized negative behaviors or maladaptive behaviors as they called it in the study. So awesome. This is a form of rehab cycling is, or, or it could be beneficial, like, right. As a form of rehab for offenders that like vandalizing cars. Can take them <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, more, more research would have to be done to see if that was true <laughs> but, that we should look into. Yeah. Yeah. But it is really exciting to see that there is actual research-based evidence to show that there are like positive behavioral outcomes with cycling, even if it's just this one study. I'm sure there's more out there. Yeah. We, yeah, you know, we can't find all of the research all at once, but it is really cool to see that, that they found this positively benefiting, decreasing those maladaptive behaviors that could be great for so many different populations. Tell me, tell me more about the the social emotional benefits. So this one decreasing depression, are there other social emotional benefits that you read? Yeah, definitely. So I found one study completed in 2002 that found that nursing home residents that participated in this two-week wheelchair bike program that I had mentioned earlier, they used activity participation as a measure of a decrease in social isolation. So basically, all the all the residents that were participating in this two-week wheelchair bike program they looked at how engaged they were in just any activity in their nursing home. And they found that over the course of the two weeks that the individual's participation activities, so how often they attended other activities, including the cycling group at their facility, increased from an average of 4.9 activities per week to 13.52 activities per week. And that was like immediately after the two-week study. And then at the follow-up, which was, I, I believe it was 10 weeks later, that increase had kind of held a little bit and they were attending an average of 9.95 activities per week. And this is an average of multiple people. That's why you don't attend 0.95 of an activity, but right. yeah. So it just showed like the positive social outcome of participating in the wheelchair cycling program that now, instead of only attending like four groups per week, which again is not very much. Like if you think of an activity group, it's like maybe an hour out of the week. So that would be, they're probably not going to a group every single day to then going to at least nine groups per week, which would be presumably like at least one, one to two groups per day. Yeah, that's really cool to see. Yeah, Just as like a recreation therapist, <laughs> you worked at a assisted living center as a recreation therapist. Mm-hmm. You imagine like having that many people increasing from four times a day to nine times or nine times a week, sorry, four times a week tonight. That'd be. Yeah. I mean, that's a really exciting result because if you think about like, sure, it's just looking at how often that they're attending an activity, thinking of all the social benefits of being around other people, being engaged in like a group. I would imagine that there were even more emotional benefits from that study just because they're not being by themselves, like isolation. As we know, isolation does not help with a lot of things and it definitely like can increase depression and feelings of loneliness. So for those people being able to attend more groups could have a really positive impact on just their like overall feelings and their social engagement. Like if they're around other people, it's more likely that they're socializing with them instead of just keeping to themselves. The next study that looked at the social benefits of cycling was also done on older adults. And this study didn't look at just cycling. It looked at, it did look at 
cycling, but it looked at other like group activities. And they found that fun and enjoyment and social interaction can be a huge motivator for people maintaining their participation in these activities. So like, you think as you get older, like some people tend to stop doing the activities that they enjoy that maybe are not getting as engaged. And they found like a marker of people continuing to do these activities into an older age was if they were able to have fun and be social. And so this study looked at people participating in a cycling group and found that they were continuing to participate in it because they found enjoyment in it, which I feel like to most people, it's like, duh, they enjoyed doing it. They got to like hang out with other people. That makes a lot of sense. But this study just showed that like, yes, that's true. And that's a barrier that we can identify. If someone used to like cycling and they no longer like cycling, trying to identify what is it about that that is no longer fun, whether it's you don't have a good bike for your physical abilities anymore, or you have other limitations, less balance or less ability to get out. Maybe you don't have a bike. If we can identify why they're no longer enjoying it, then we can restore this activity to them and presumably restore all of these social emotional benefits that they have yeah. in their whole lives just continue on. Yeah. And I think being able to understand their, like the motivation there that keeps people coming back to doing an activity is really important. Cause like, even just going back to the physical benefits of it, if you know that these people are more likely to keep up with this form of exercise because it's fun and social, then you can kind of like add to that and try to increase the elements of that in your, what you're doing. Like it's hard for someone to maybe keep exercising on their own by themselves, but as soon as you like add another person to it or a group together, you see a lot more positive outcomes and like how much they are engaging in the activity and hanging out with other people and talking to them and being social and like reaping all the emotional benefits that come from being social. So that's a good time to shift to the emotional benefits of cycling, which there were quite a few studies that I found on this. Going back to the study that I talked about with the wheelchair cycling program for the people with dementia, they found that there was a significant decrease in the depression scores on the GDI, the geriatric depression scale, and the decrease in depression held up again at the 10 week mark. So just that process of getting people to increase their activity participation, like getting them out of their rooms, engaging in this fun, somewhat social activity where they're riding in a bike with someone who's pedaling. Cause like a lot of these people with dementia probably are no longer able to pedal the bike themselves or be able to like go out on their own because they're in a nursing home at this point. So they're probably in a later stage of dementia. It's just exciting to see that the decrease in depression was present because we're bringing joy to people. and. <laughs> Right. And it feels so much more doable when you realize that they don't even have to be the ones cycling, Mm -hmm. have to be the ones cycling to get these benefits from cycling. That opens up a whole new range of who can benefit from a cycling activity, right? If you take away, you don't, you don't even have to be the power behind the bike. You can sit. What, what was this bike called? A wheelchair bike? Is that what you said? So yeah, in the study, it was called a wheelchair bike. I'll try to figure out what type of bike they use and we can link it in the show notes. But I think there's a few different types. Like I've heard of the duet bike. I think it's something similar to that where you have somebody who is in control of the bike who's pedaling and then you have a seat in the front or in the back um, that that person is riding. Essentially they're riding in. They're like going on a bike ride. It's like an experience that's happening to them, maybe not by them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I will figure that out. I think a duet bike is one of the examples, but I'll look and see what this particular study used as well. Cause it was done in 2002. So it was probably, there's probably a few versions of this wheelchair bike that exist. 
I have actually been doing some research about those because there is a program in Singapore that is also in America. It's I'll I'll look it up, but it's it's like age well or or bike well. Anyway, it's this program to get these bikes into assisted living programs, into community recreation centers. Mm -hmm. So that older adults can ride them. Yeah. And it and it's this really cool global program. It started in Denmark, I believe. And now they, they have chapters all over the United States and all over these different countries. And yes. they they have volunteers or people in the program come and bike these people around and they're experiencing all of these positive benefits. And here is a research article that specifically states that these benefits are are sound, <laughs> are yeah. are statistically valid right or or are at least there have been other people in the same similar demographic that have received these benefits this isn't just someone being like oh this might be a cool idea yeah no that's super cool I also love that there's a program that allows for people to get their hands on those bikes we'll talk about this later but unfortunately some of these adaptive bikes are not the most affordable things for people to get. And so it's really cool to see that there are programs that exist out there to get those bikes into people's hands. But again, we'll talk about that later. I'm going to keep talking about the emotional benefits of cycling. So there was a study that they did. It was a 16 week outdoor cycling program for individuals with schizophrenia. And they found that there was a significant reduction in psychotic, depressive, and anxiety symptoms compared with the people in the study who did not participate in cycling, but only participate in occupational therapy. So as a recreational therapist, that makes me excited to see that the more experiential therapy, in this case, cycling did have a positive outcome, even compared with people that were still attending therapy, just not the active, like exercise cycling therapy. And then going back to our assisted cycling therapy study, the eight week study done on individuals with Down syndrome found that their social coping skills, I did mention this earlier, which is their ability to deal with stress, were improved compared to people that participated in the voluntary cycling program and the group that did no cycling. Okay, so the last study that I looked at on the social benefits of cycling was a survey that was administered to just over 1,100 people living in the Brisbane, Australia area. And it was done on, it looked at how they traveled, um, so their travel habits, and also just like their self-concept, their feeling of self-actualization, and how often they cycled, as in riding a bicycle. And they found that there exists a positive relation between bicycle use, self-actualization on physical, psychological, social, and self-efficacy dimensions, and positive mood. So basically, they found that the people that cycled to work that were engaged in cycling more often had a more positive view of themselves physically, of themselves psychologically, of themselves socially, and just like a higher sense of self-efficacy, which is like your belief in your ability to do things. Yeah, right. And it's it's really cool that these people, that cycling is a recreational activity, but they were also using it as a tool, right? As a transportation mm -hmm. to get to work. And these benefits are still being demonstrated. It's kind of a cool, unique thing about cycling is that it's a recreational activity that you can do that, you know, so often people say, oh, I don't have time to do recreation. I don't have time for leisure. This is a recreational activity that you can do while you're getting from point A to point B. And yeah. So 
tool that you can kind of fit that in and get those same benefits. And we will be putting the research that we compiled, basically like a little summary of the articles that we looked at. We'll be putting that in our show notes. We have a research guide that we put together. So all you rec therapists out there that are looking for more of a research-based information on the use of cycling as a modality, you can go find our research guide. We hope it'll be a really helpful tool for you. All right. Well, as always, thank you again for joining us for this episode of Real Talk Recreation Therapy. We hope that you found lots of helpful information for your practice as recreational therapists. If you're looking for some of the resources that we mentioned, you can go to our website, www.realtalkrecreationtherapy.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Bye.